0: key thing with hospital-at-home that really is needed from the remote patient monitoring perspective is more of a continuous monitoring capability, and that's where that's a very new technology but that, that can help provide more. You could start it during a very hospital-at-home program, but then it's after a patient transitions into that recovery and home care, RPM can really provide a great transition there and take off and take over and after that intensive care leaves the home.
1: Welcome to A Virtual View, where we talk about telehealth, healthcare, and everything in between.
0: Today, we're excited to have
2: Bernard Benassa on with us today to talk a little bit about remote patient monitoring. So Bernard, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit better.
0: Thanks, Cam and Danielle, for having me on today. I appreciate that. So I'm currently with AMC Health as VP Provider Telehealth Solutions. And uh, I've got a long background working with digital health and telemedicine solutions, starting with working with video integration systems for operating rooms, and then I transitioned into facility-based telemedicine, into the post-acute care solutions space in the virtual care area, mobile telemedicine, and now I'm firmly into remote patient monitoring solutions, so... Pretty much I've had a broad view from the digital health perspective, from the inner workings of a hospital clinical enterprise, all the way out to the patient at home. So it's really been an incredible journey to see all the ways that digital health and virtual care can transform care delivery and patient outcomes in so many settings and use cases.
2: Absolutely. You've been able to see the use and the development of telehealth as well as remote patient monitoring, especially since we've seen the utilization. Remote patient monitoring has been around for a while, but we've seen the utilization of remote patient monitoring like telehealth really increase over the course of the pandemic. And so for some of our listeners who maybe are a little bit newer or are just learning about what remote patient monitoring is, Can you explain what the service is and really how does it work?
0: Yeah, great starting question. So remote patient monitoring in its most simple form is about collecting and interpreting data from a patient that's at a distant location from the provider. So that along with a key piece that includes acting on the data to advise the patient to take some type of action like changing a medication, scheduling a visit to their physician, or some other adjustment to maybe the care plan that you've got for them. It's, when you look at remote patient monitoring, it's actually a pretty broad term that encompasses a wide range of virtual care offerings. That can include physiological monitoring, medication adherence, diet, exercise and wellness tracking, falls and personal emergency episodes, and even digital tools to help with uh, treatment like, like the, for behavioral health needs. And, but when the healthcare industry talks about RPM as a care model for high need patients, like those with advanced chronic illnesses, they're primarily referring to what the CMS is defined as remote physiologic monitoring. So in, in its purest sense, when it's talking about the CMS definition, it, RPM stands for remote physiological monitoring. So sometimes that can get confusing, but this form of RPM really specifies that, that FDA cleared medical devices must be used by patients to collect their readings. And then these readings must automatically transmit from the devices to the monitoring platform for review by the healthcare professional. And some of the medical devices that you might find in an RPM solution, blood pressure monitor, weight scale, pulse oximeter, blood glucose meter, and some additional ones. There's also some versions of RPM that don't include medical devices, and but because they dealt, they're not covered under the CMS RPM definition as a reimbursable service. But some examples that maybe sometimes you hear the word deviceless, or, or really what they are are messaging-based apps, or maybe self-reporting portals or applications for patients for, for doing their own self-medical readings reporting. So RPM can cover all that, but really the specific... One that we talk about that's reimbursable is designed for high-need patients is remote physiologic monitoring that includes all those things I mentioned.
2: That
3: sounds like something that's got a lot of different moving parts and angles, I'm sure. A remote patient monitoring program, how's that something you get set up and start working with?
0: Typically, an, an RPM program would work something like this, right? A provider organization would identify a group of patients often like a high-risk group like heart failure patients for instance and then you select patients within that group that you want to reach out to and hope to enroll into the program and then you have monitoring devices to support that patient biometric data that you want to collect for heart patient type heart failure type patients and uh, and along with a patient engagement tool so the tool might be a tablet with patient engagement software installed. It might be an app that can be downloaded to the patient's smartphone. If you have patients that are a little bit less technology literate, you might even have a passive modem and all they have to do is attach the medical device to them and the readings automatically transmit through that device. Typically then you have a care plan that's set up for that group. And you might have a suite of available care plans and you can pick the one that's designed to support the desired care goal. And what this does, is also acts as a guiding pathway for the patient-facing interaction and coaching. But it also provides like a monitoring support dashboard and a set of tools for the clinicians to assess the patient's current alignment or trending within the care plan objectives. Some of the more advanced RPM systems even have automated interventional tools that get triggered based on an intelligent understanding as to where the patient's trending. One way I I speak to some relative newcomers, like at conferences and other times, is I like to think of it as the way that you see some of these driver assist features that are appearing in newer cars. So a care pathway lane is set up via the care plan. And if a patient starts to drift outside of that lane, a gentle and timely intervention can occur that nudges them back into the care lane. This can be automated to a certain extent. It can also be more hands-on and and a nurse can make that correction for the patient once they receive some type of notification that patient is straight. And some of these more advanced RPM systems, they've got a a library of care plans that, that can really be based on multiple components, right? You can have the device selection, the frequency that you want a patient to take the readings. You might have patient surveys that are customized for that condition, as well as an assigned set of some video tutorials that uh, you would prescribe for them to see, and then have a set of parameter monitoring thresholds put around that so that if the patient is either non-adherent or they're just falling in ranges outside of the desirable one, you could have alerts set up and be aware of their situation. And then from an actual monitoring perspective, you would have like an, a monitoring center set up and staffed by care managers. Typically nurses. their job would be to enroll in an onboard patients, monitor the incoming patient data on a dashboard, respond to alerts by communicating with the patient and advising on care plan adherence and do interventions. This kind of monitoring center could be set up using provider organization staff, or it can be outsourced right to a RPM vendor. Finally, typically the RPM vendor would offer a logistics service. So that would include managing patient device kits for the provider, including inventory, shipping, retrieval refurbishment, et cetera. And really, this can be a no-touch model for the provider so that they don't have to mess with storing the equipment, handling the equipment, cleaning it between patients, worrying about calibration or maintenance or anything. It can be kind of offered as part of the subscription model, which we, we find works the best.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts to a remote patient monitoring program to really get it up and started. But really, the ultimate goal is improving the information that providers can act on when they're working with patients that perhaps are struggling with certain conditions. So if you're working with a patient who has diabetes, being able to have a consistent reading of what their A1C is doing so that There can be more timely intervention, especially if you're working with patients where perhaps it's really difficult for them to come and get a biometric reading. Being able to increase that access to improve, provide better follow-up care, provide more preventative care, but ultimately improve some of the decision-making that those providers who are
0: engaging with patients are able to offer as well.
3: Yeah, it sounds like a great way to customize
0: patient care. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's the promise of RPM if it's done right.
2: So with that, RPM is unique in what it can offer as a virtual care solution. And it's interesting because we see remote patient monitoring and even remote patient monitoring, depending on which state Medicaid you're looking at, remote patient monitoring falls under the definition of telehealth. But it's very unique in what it's offering. How does RPM differ from other virtual care solutions? like telehealth consults, and how do those solutions work in tandem together?
0: I find it's important to mention that really, um, is really the only virtual care technology that can achieve what's often called the triple aim in healthcare. So, So that means that it has the most promise to improve population health, right? reaching patients where they live, reduces per capita healthcare costs at scale and improves the patient experience. And they all fit hand in hand. It's almost, if you do one, the other kind of comes along to a certain degree. But RPM does have some overlapping capabilities with live video telehealth consults and that it's often part of the RPM program is the ability to link a patient with a provider for a live video telehealth session. It may not happen as often as in just a, a model that's doing I would say things like because RPM is it's really its central purpose is to gather collected patient generated data intervals over a monitor time span and give a view to that patient and really to collect that data in between those face-to-face meetings or in provider visits face-to-face could be through live telehealth consults. But live telehealth consults are typically used more for like real-time patient assessment right, to address maybe an episodic condition that requires immediate observations, such as maybe a throat or ear infection, chest congestion, or a rash of some type. Of course, COVID really drove a lot of live telehealth consults, right, to get that on-the-spot review of patient symptoms, where RPM is viewed as more collecting that data over time and tracking and trending it. And RPM's really kind of looked at a bit more of a primarily a stored-forward type technology with a dose of live video interaction than when needed. Yeah, so
2: with that, yeah, and with a storm forward really being that um, for individuals listening to this podcast who maybe aren't familiar with that term is similar to asynchronous telehealth. It just means that information is being transmitted one way and it does not have a simultaneous interaction between a provider and a patient. There's a lot of different acronyms associated to remote patient monitoring or even services that are distinct maybe used interchangeably. So, you know, like CCM, chronic care management, RTM, remote therapeutic monitoring. How do you help sort out some of this variety in terminology and, you know, how some of these services can overlap with each other, but are distinct from each other as well?
0: It could be hard to keep up with all the new Definitions and reimbursement and billing codes, and you almost need a a algorithm or something just to stay on top of it all. But yeah, it can can be confusing. What I'm, what I'll talk about is the different types of reimbursable defined care models that CMS has put out the really specifically to talk about RPM, CCM, TCM and RTM. So the first we've talked a little bit about already is remote physiologic monitoring, and it's fairly new in the group. It was really defined first by CMS in 2019 for use. It's relatively new, but really COVID drove a lot of usage. So it's a little more widespread now. But really, RPM involves the use of connected medical devices like we talked about to collect physiologic data. And typically a treatment plan would be set up so you can review and manage the patient progress. and RPM can be used really for any chronic or acute condition, and it really would continue until the stated treatment goals are met. It actually requires a minimum of 20 minutes of time per month spent by clinical staff reviewing the data or adjusting the care plan and interacting with the patient. There's billing codes, reimbursement for the initial setup of the patient devices and for the monthly supply of those devices. And you can get up to two 20-minute blocks for time spent by clinicals. So a good example of a patient condition that can be managed via RPM would be like hypertension, for instance. And then the next one is, I'll talk about is CCM, which is called, it stands for chronic care management. And CCM's actually been around a long time and, and it doesn't actually require connected medical devices, although it can definitely be enhanced via the use of devices. So it's a little difference between that and RPM requires the devices if you want to be able to bill for it. So you can actually have a model using both CCM and RPM together. It's proven to be highly successful for most at the most at-risk patients and also lucrative for providers billing for both services together. But CCM is really designed to be used and has to be used for patients with two or more chronic diseases that are expected to 12 months or longer or until death of the patient. So they're really lifetime type of diseases. And CMS though, where it differs from RPM 2 is it really requires a very comprehensive care plan for each of the chronic conditions that you're managing. It's got special requirements for round the clock or 24-7 care access. You also have to coordinate the plan with other care providers involved in the patient's care. So it requires a lot more work, but it actually can be quite lucrative as well. But the CCM requires at least 20 minutes a month spent by your clinical staff managing the patient's care, adjusting the care plan, et cetera. There's also additional codes that cover additional 20 minute blocks and also 60 and 30 minute blocks if you're doing what they call complex CCM, which requires a whole nother level of, uh, of care plan management. But in good, maybe a good example of a patient <clears throat> being managed via CCM would be for instance, someone who has maybe both heart failure and diabetes, cause those often go hand in hand. Those are two lifetime chronic type of diseases and they would qualify. Then there's the next one's principal care management, and that is also called PCM. It's very similar to CCM, so it tracks fairly similarly, but it's used for a lower acuity patient, one with a single high-risk disease instead of multiple, and really designed to last maybe three months or more. Not really expected to be a long-term coverage model and billing codes exist for 30 minute blocks of time either spent by clinical staff or, or physician i think you can do up to two 30 minute blocks and a good example of a patient being managed via pcm might be one that might be recovering from a cancer diagnosis and it just has been undergoing treatment so maybe they'll be in remission or be fine and you and you've done dur- during the treatment period after maybe 3 months or so or maybe longer and then there's transitional care management and that's used for short-term monitoring of patients up to 30 days after discharge from either a hospital, like an inpatient stay at a hospital or at a rehab facility. And it's really designed to support transition back to a stable self-care routine, like at a patient's place of residence. And then there's there's special time requirements that have to be followed for remote check-in and follow-up like within two days and seven days of discharge. So there's some pretty strict time zones you have to meet to get reimbursed. And then a good example of a patient being managed under TCM might be one that's just been discharged after potentially maybe a heart valve replacement or a stroke or something like that. And the last one, which is the newest of the remote patient monitoring care models is called remote therapeutic monitoring or RTM. And that's just been introduced and added to the physician fee schedule this past January. So it closely tracks RPM, but it really extends the range of digital care applications to, to include non-physiological data monitoring for treatments of conditions like for respiratory, musculoskeletal type conditions. It can also be used for like medication adherence and pain monitoring. And it really gives a whole new set of practitioners the eligibility to bill for remote patient monitoring type services. So now folks like physical therapists, speech therapists, registered dietitians, and, and that can all now bill for their types of services they provide. And like RPM, there's codes for device setup and monthly usage of the devices and up to two 20-minute blocks of time spent on care management. One really important difference is that RTM allows for more flexibility in data reporting. It that... Patients can actually self-report their physiologic readings. It doesn't have to be automatically generated from a connected device. They can also update information on pain status, medication adherence, and other types of data. And if you think of an example of a patient that would be a good fit for RTM would be maybe someone with a chronic back pain, maybe, or someone recovering from, or maybe a recent joint replacement or something along those lines.
3: Thank you for that overview. That was really useful for me as somebody who's a bit newer to the field of telehealth to understand all these different applications and the way that these are used. I do think it's interesting that like these RPM models aren't necessarily things that are used directly in the response to COVID, but thanks to the COVID situation, a lot of these have come into the mainstream and become more publicized in a way they just weren't before. I just think a lot of people have become aware of them because of the increased prevalence of telehealth and telemedicine in general. Just beyond these specific use cases, can you share any ways that RPM is making a difference for patients and any examples of cases you can think of?
0: Yeah, yeah. So RPM's reach really and its ability to make an impact is huge, especially for those with long-term chronic illnesses, and, and it definitely became a stopgap and maybe a savior during uh, during COVID because a lot of hospitals wanted to avoid the the, uh, the strain on the health system and having their hospital overrun by patients with COVID coming in and not wanting to spread. So it was really what was a, quite a, a lifesaver during uh, during COVID. But when we look at it from a more of a long-term chronic illness type of treatment model, when you look at the U.S., there's, according to CDC, at least there's about more than 60% of of adults in the U.S. have one chronic condition and 40% have two or more. And a staggering 90% of our healthcare costs in the U.S. are attributed to treating folks with chronic health conditions, really using RPM to go after some of these High need patients, high utilization patients is really the right place to, to start, even though it can have broad applications, right? But it really drives better patient engagement. It empowers providers to help patients make better long-term progress and really reduce those avoidable high-cost rehospitalizations or, or other procedures. But regarding use cases, they can be very broad. And We've seen use cases and we handle use cases from geriatric to infant age ranges, right? You have your chronic diseases that can be addressed such as heart failure, COPD, diabetes, hypertension, but you can also find that RPM is very useful for a general post-hospital discharge and other specialty care, like liver disease, cancer, obesity, high-risk maternity, pediatrics, post-NICU recovery behavioral health, and even primary care and wellness. Yeah, and looking at where RPM's really making a difference, we've got a couple of examples where we can see a significant outcome improvement. And uh, typically what we see is there's a lot of programs out there that are that are at a trial phase or ones that are moved beyond and are really scaled. And those are the ones that are really producing good outcomes at a successful scale. But we have an example I can share of a large scale program in the region, right? It's a large payer in Michigan where we've had a highly successful program in place since 2016. It's a full service partnership and we provide the platform, patient kits, logistic services, clinical monitoring services, patient candidate screening, enrollment, onboarding, and some analytics reporting. And this program's actually expanded to cover a large range of high-risk patient conditions, including heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and hypertension. And it's got an average monthly enrollment rate of about a thousand patients. That's what we're running at. And compliance across that group is over 80% on average. And over the life of the program, this particular organization has seen a reduction in hospital readmissions of close to 25%. So that's an example of a scaled, highly scaled model in in, in Michigan. Something to think about is that RPM really, though, despite of some of these bigger programs, they're really in their infancy, I think, regarding mainstream adoption. So for all the large scale programs you might hear, or even one that you might hear about There's probably dozens of small trial projects that really have yet to be proven out and scaled. And some of the reasons for that are that the solution may only support a primary use case or disease focus. Like you've got some diabetes apps out there that track blood glucose and that do a great job of it, but they're just limited to diabetes. Or a supplier chosen might be a relative newcomer or an under-resourced company that doesn't really offer the full suite of support and services that are really needed to take that program from trial to, to scale. And that is a tricky transition to make for any provider organization and partner that they choose. So it's really got to be done well. And I'll speak a bit more of that later. But, you know, if you go out and see all the RPM information that's out on social media, on websites, et cetera, you're probably... See a lot of uh, home pages on websites with a splash of claims regarding promising new revenue new revenue streams, huge ROI, dramatic hospital re- rem- admission reductions, happy patients, happy providers. So you'd think after seeing some of this chatter out there that RPM is just a, a rosy uh, bunch of rainbows and unicorns, and all you got to do is add water, stir, pop it yo, and out comes a successful RPM program. <laughs> But, uh, really RPM's hard with many variables, lots of stakeholders and operational kind of support elements that really all have to work together. When it works together, it's beautiful. It's wildly successful. And that's what we've been able to be a part of as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think we see that in a lot of virtual care programs. You might read research or hear things about it. And every single circumstance is very different. And there's some best practices, of course, you can follow when it comes to implementing some of these solutions, regardless of its remote patient monitoring or telehealth. But you're working with different stakeholders, you got different processes, you got different patient populations, and your patient populations may face different barriers to the technology that's unique from urban, rural, or Indiana to California. Those patients are gonna look different based off of those demographics. And it's interesting that you say that too, Bernie, with all of these different virtual care platforms, I think one of the benefits is that we've been able to see So many more use cases for a variety of different settings that we've never seen before. I'll use an example of a group in Ohio who asked me to do a presentation on remote patient monitoring. And they asked me to condense research on remote patient monitoring specific to maternal care. And I had to be, we've seen some, but this is still really early in the process. It's definitely in its infancy. We're not going to see a deep bench of (laughs) 20 plus years worth of research and there's got to be some comfortability with this is something that we definitely see we've seen it a lot more it's still very cutting edge we still are tracking it because just for the same ways with telehealth there may be certain circumstances that providing that particular service is going to be the most effective or the most appropriate. And then through that, you may find that, okay, maybe this setting wasn't the appropriate setting to provide telehealth or remote patient monitoring. But when there are new services like these, you have to try it. You have to see what it looks like. And to your point, there, they can be difficult programs to get off the ground, but once you get there, you can really see how it impacts your communities, especially when it's done really well.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And you're going into a totally uncontrolled environment of a patient's home and every patient's home is different. Every patient behavior is different. So you're dealing with a lot of operational complexities, assuming that all the technology works great. That's probably the easy part. It's all the other pieces and parts. right?
2: Exactly. And you mentioned it with a lot of, we're seeing now that a lot more reimbursement structures for being able to provide care in patients' homes to be, in general, we're having more opportunities from payers to do that. So with remote patient monitoring, there's a lot of activity around hospital at home care models. How does an RPM solution fit into this more emerging care
0: Yeah, yeah, so great question too. Yeah, hospital at home is interesting, right? It's, it is seeing rapid recent uptick, right, in use cases and that. It was actually developed over 20 years ago by Johns Hopkins Medicine. And so it's been around, but its popularity recently has been driven by, I think, a number of things, not the least of which was COVID, of course, which drove it quite a lot. But uh, but also the technology gotten so much better. And then there's updated program modeling that has been used around telehealth specifically that have been opened the doors for it. But I think a big reason you're seeing a lot of it come out now and the reason CMS really jumped on board mainly because of COVID, they launched their, what they call acute hospital care at home program, which was modeled after Hopkins care at home program. And that really allows approved organizations to receive Medicare reimbursement for at-home care services that are normally done in a hospital setting for patients that are eligible for an inpatient hospital stay. And I think CMS has approved over a hundred provider organizations to participate in this program. So really are seeing not just a lot of provider organizations adopt the model, but a lot of even new business models by suppliers combining the needed resources that visit the home in addition to some of the technology, right? But the obviously the advantages are the patient's more comfortable at home, but the costs are driven down by moving the patient, having the patient in a lower cost center, obviously. It frees up more hospital beds, and you have just re- reduced readmissions because the transition to home-based care after that hospital period is really smoother and you have less bounce backs. But the hospital home model, it's a great fit for telehealth in general and to a certain extent, RPM, right? There, there are requirements for daily interaction, interactive evaluations by the clinical care teams, and those can be completed via telehealth. There's also some in-person requirements, but it can be a hybrid setup. So nurses have to visit in person. I think it's twice a day, but you also have two check-ins. That can happen by a, like a hospitalist type person and then a nurse each day. And this can be done via telehealth. And it's not designed to be a long-term program. It's mainly equivalent to a hospital stay, but really RPM can be used to enhance that by keeping tabs on patients' vitals and other things, including surveys. But a key thing with hospital at home that really is needed from the remote patient monitoring perspective is more of a continuous monitoring capability and that's where that's a very new technology, but that that can help provide more of a period of time as to how a patient's doing and give the nurses the ability to monitor more, more continuously. But where RPM, I think, really fits in the best is you could start it during a hospital at home program, but then it's after a patient transitions from that hospital eligibility coverage period into transitioning into that recovery and home care, RPM can really provide a great transition there and take off and take over. Once that monitoring period is needed after that intensive care leaves the home.
2: Yeah. And I think this is in the same vein, but also slightly different from that home care model. There's a lot of conversations about aging in place and being able to work with individuals who don't want to be in a facility full-time to receive full-time care within that capacity. By being able to utilize some of the technologies like remote patient monitoring. There's been a lot of research and case studies that I've come across with remote patient monitoring that it it can be easy to think, okay, we're working with an aging, aging population, they don't want to mess with the technology. But there's actually several cases that show that's not the case, that they actually do enjoy using that technology, enjoy the benefits, especially if it's very user-friendly and perhaps maybe they have someone who's helping them on the front end to really set up a lot of that equipment so it's easy for them to utilize. I guess from your perspective, do you see more applications for remote patient monitoring, especially when it comes to that aging in place perspective?
0: I think uh, patients really want to have more engagement they really want to be met more at home it's just a lot less stressful on aging population they're not easy to get around and now with the risk of infections and now covid and all the other strains that's just such a perfect model there there usually are some hurdles to get through for from a technology literacy perspective but most of the vendors that are putting out RPM solutions, there's actually been studies done and measurements of the literacy level of some of these apps that are being put in front of patients. And uh, I think a lot of them tested around like an eighth grade reading capability of friendliness so that not going to be that hard to learn. You're always gonna have some patients that just can't handle a tablet, won't handle it. So there's other options at least to engage with them through live phone surveys or automatic surveys, right? Or there's passive modems, just as long as you can get those readings up and then you can have a bit more of a high-touch model through phone follow-up. But really the tablets and the user interfaces have gotten pretty easy to use and more and more, I think, elderly patients, especially the new ones that are entering the elderly ranks are more accustomed to some more of the technology and a lot of times there's a caregiver in the home and in those cases they can help them with the, with a digital tool or technology. So I think there's a lot of options there, but I think that it is being embraced and we're definitely seeing greater adoption, even by quite elderly folks.
3: So I know that when we're talking about working with these aging populations, we are also not just dealing with the technology literacy, we're also dealing with problems in connectivity. RPMs, how do they address that? Because I know that can be an issue for any sort of telehealth.
0: Exactly. That's totally outside the the telehealth platform itself, right? It's got to work over whatever connectivity is present to reach these um Patients w- work where they live. So that's a great question. So really designed RPM solution should have several options, right? It can be combined and used together to reach the, to give the highest quality experience to the most number of patients. So obviously high-speed connected patients, you want that video capability and then the digital responsiveness and all that, but you also need a solution to reach the those that are hardest to reach. And really as is so often the case, right? The patients that are the hardest to reach are probably the ones that have the highest care needs. So their needs aren't being met, they're too far away or just in underserved areas or don't have access to technology. So what we're seeing from providers about the challenges and what they ask us about is how can I really best manage that variety of connectivity needs with an operational model that I can manage? How do I also accommodate the different levels of technology, literacy and literacy in general? And then how can I also serve patients of different, differing language backgrounds? So you have a real mix of things that are beyond the technology, right? So for patients that are more tech savvy, a tablet with the patient-facing engagement software, or even more savvy patients that are mobile and like to move around with their phone, you could download an app and have the devices connected to that. For those that are less tech literate, you you get, like I mentioned before, we could have a, uh, like an always on, similar to an Alexa that's always listening, right? An always on modem in the background that anytime it receives readings from its connected community of devices that are supplied to the patient, those readings will automatically get to the care dashboard. And and all of these can come with uh, integrated cellular connectivity because you don't want to have to deal with thousands of different Wi-Fi setups across patients' homes. So anytime you can have a universal standard way of connecting, cellular seems to be the best and most adopted of RPM solutions. So having devices that come out with cellular built in, whether it's the tablet or of course a patient's smartphone has it, or whether it's got, it's the modem, the ability to just automatically come out with cellular connectivity, automatically working is key. <clears throat> but then if you run into a situation where. A patient's home doesn't have cellular connectivity, they're outside the reach of cellular, then solutions that work over even a patient's wired wall phone or landline is also an option that should be explored. And you can have automated voice-based interactive surveys and responses from patients on readings that they've taken or other just survey content to feel, see how they're doing. So automated phone-based. Solutions can be provided over wired phones as well. So, there's a lot of options there. And then, when you're looking at different language needs, you want to make sure that a vendor offers the on screen content if, it, if they are using a screen, survey content if they're using digital surveys, IVR content for audible surveys over the phone, and all the educational content you might want to have them review on their about their management and even support. So, you want to make sure all that's in the right language so that you don't have any gaps there.
2: That's a great point, Bernie, and it's great to hear that there's options around whenever patients experience some of those barriers, whether it come to language access or access to high-speed internet or internet connectivity in general, that there are still ways that they can still participate in a program like this, as well as take advantage of some of the benefits of engaging in a remote patient monitoring platform. But Bernie, we're really thankful for being able to talk to you on the show today. And to dive in a little bit about remote patient monitoring, we're looking forward to having a a follow up episode with you for this, but I wanted to give you an opportunity that we have and you, one of your organizations that you've worked with to start a remote patient monitoring platform is actually going to be speaking at the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center conference. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what they're going to be talking about coming up here in September?
0: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. So yeah, we have a, the largest independent physician group in Michigan, just outside of Detroit has been using our solution in a really innovative model. That's part of their, they're actually working with some of their patients that are covered under a value-based care plan under Blue Cross Blue Shield's blueprint for affordability program. So it's a shared risk value-based payment model and they started using our solution to reduce the total cost of care and obviously drive better outcomes for the patients. they are seeing really good results from that and uh, we'll be talking about that. I think they're primarily addressing right now heart failure and COPD patients. So we'll be talking about that and their experiences as to how they got their program defined and up and and started working with us. So yeah, we'll jointly be presenting at your conference uh, in September.
2: We're really looking forward to that presentation and hearing a little bit more about it. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and conclude our time today and just want to thank you again for joining us, Bernie.
1: Thank you for listening to A Virtual View. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Cameron Hilt of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of, or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.